The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Today I'm going to be reading from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down wrote his, with his finger in the sand on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But, they, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, Sin no more. Let's take a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are just such an amazing forgiver, provider, and comforter. Thank you for bringing us together today as we prepare to hear Pastor Randall give the message. I pray that you open our hearts and our minds that we may receive his words, which are your words coming through his mouth. Thank you, Lord, again, for just loving us the way that you do. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bella. Good morning. Uh, welcome to Grace City this morning. If you're new, uh, my name is Randall, I'm pastor here, and glad you're here this morning. Uh, we're in a series right now called Simply Jesus. And uh, if you're new or you've been here for a while, I just want to declare that we are a church that loves Jesus. We love Jesus. We love talking about Jesus. It's, we believe that the Bible is, is all about Jesus and it points us to him. And so that's why we do series like this, Simply Jesus. And uh, we're in this text today, John chapter 8, uh, verses 2 through 11. And what we learn about Jesus is his forgiveness. The forgiveness that Jesus embodies. This is one of the most famous passages of Scripture. If you were to talk with people who didn't even know anything about the Bible, they would have probably heard something along the lines of this story woman who was brought before Jesus, people were ready to stone her, and Jesus saying, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. This story today resonates deeply with our hearts, doesn't it? 
And the idea of forgiveness resonates with us so deeply because it's a part of the character of who God is and, and what he's called for us in our lives to do and, and to be. David in Psalm 130 verse 4 says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And so when he thinks about God, when he talks about all of the characteristics of God, he says, okay, God, the, the God of the Bible, you, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. See, God doesn't call us into a fear of whether or not there's going to be forgiveness, but it's a, it's a level of awe when we say, wow, that God would forgive us, that God would forgive me. We are awed by it. How, how could that be possible? Uh, now, amazingly, uh, modern scientific literature on forgiveness only dates back to 1989. Um, biblically, the idea of forgiveness goes back much further. Uh, this concept is not new to us as Christians, but it's also uh, not natural to us within our human nature, right? It's not the, the first instinct that I'd say, well, I'm going to be a forgiving person. It's just not within us. Um, See, because the moment you or I feel someone is judging us, someone's treating us unfairly, someone is looking at us as inferior, naturally our willingness to forgive goes out the window. For some of us, all, all it takes is to get in your car and to drive down the five in the evening right as you're going south. That's all it takes. And so forgiveness is not a natural feeling that rises up within us as people cut us off, as people don't let us in, as we're trying to move over. It's not there. And so what is forgiveness? Well, researchers generally define it as this process of letting go of pain, anger, and resentment caused by an offense. Uh, Forgiveness is not denying hurt in your life. Nor is it having to trust someone that is an untrustworthy person or staying in a relationship that's not healthy. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness also is not instantaneous. It takes time. It's a process. According to experts, there are different kinds of forgiveness that uh, we lean into. Uh, One of them is uh, decisional forgiveness. Forgiveness. And what decisional forgiveness is, is um, you know that somebody has wronged you or offended you. And so you make a decision. You say, well, I'm going to act like I'm not offended by that person. I'm not going to uh, treat them badly on the outside. Uh, And so, but I still have some negative feelings towards that person. So basically, we, we fake it. I'm making a decision to fake like this person. So that's one way that we lean into what we call forgiveness. But another one is an emotional forgiveness that researchers talk about. They said our emotional forgiveness is an internal change in the way you feel toward a person. Uh, Resentment starts to give way towards positive emotions, having empathy, sympathy, compassion, even love for someone who's wronged you. 
This is what researchers say is real forgiveness. It's, it's an internal process. It's an inside-out type of forgiveness. Again, decisional forgiveness is very instantaneous. I'm just going to make this decision to kind of like this person on the outside, but really, internally, I have not forgiven them. And this other one, the emotional forgiveness, is the real, legit forgiveness. <clears throat> we ask, we should ask this, why forgive? Why should we forgive? Because God has created us as relational creatures. God has given us five senses to experience the world around us. And what happens <clears throat> when those senses and when we are violated? We have a deep need to seek revenge, to seek to make things right in the way that we think it should be made right. <clears throat> we have a deep need to resolve those issues. But how do we do that? See, God intended that we were meant to make relational peace with others through forgiveness. And there, there are plenty of benefits to forgiveness. Uh, hundreds of studies have linked forgiveness to improved physical and emotional well-being. Uh, researcher Robert Enright sums up his findings in two words. Forgiveness works. So you do research, you do study, you, you put it all out there and he comes up with forgiveness works. It works. But again, the Bible has been saying that for much longer. What about situations where it feels almost impossible to forgive? What about those types of situations? In 2008, there was an article that was written in the San Diego Tribune called The Healing Power of Forgiveness by Sandy Dolby. She talked about a man named uh, Paul Livingston. And Paul Livingston is uh, six foot seven, over 300 pounds, looks more like a lineman. Uh, and on the outside, doesn't look like he is a, is a person that's hurt. But when you dig beneath the surface, you find that he's a victim. He said that 36 years ago, when he was six years old, he became prey for a pedophile custodian at a Catholic school in Orange County. His lawsuit was one of the more than 500 claims in a record $660 million settlement with the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Los Angeles. And then something happened in his life. It says he took this step toward healing during a, a program that he was a part of and he forgave his now dead abuser. Here's what he says. He says, when I first heard forgiveness, I could not imagine someone forgiving someone who could do those heinous acts towards children. I thought it would be letting them off the hook. Boy, have I been taught a lesson in life. Forgiveness is not about letting them off the hook. It's about continuing on with our journey. It frees up our soul in a way you let go of anger. He says you can feel the difference. His acid reflux is gone. He's stopped yelling at his daughter. Livingston has discovered what science has been saying. Forgiveness is good for you, literally. 
Science only backs up what Jesus proclaimed much earlier. We all need forgiveness. See, what separates you and me from the animals, the animal kingdom? Other than our good looks, it's the Imago Day. It's the Imago Day. It's being made in the image of God. Right? When you look at Genesis chapter 1, when God is creating things, he, he creates us separately. He, he, he leans down into the dirt and he creates from the dirt you and me. We've been all made in the image of God. Everyone has intrinsic value and worth because we were made in God's image. We all need forgiveness because it's a part of our journey toward healing We are all broken and need forgiveness. And that healing and forgiveness starts with God. It starts with God. All of us need that. So in our text today, John 8, uh, 2 through 11, the woman that is thrown at Jesus' feet has intrinsic worth and value, but she's treated like she doesn't. Jesus looks at her. Beyond what she's done, and looks at her as a a woman who has worth and value because she's been made in the image of God. Made in the image of God. Now, as we look at this text, uh, you might be wondering, well, why are there brackets around this particular text? You know, what, what what's that whole thing at the top where it says the earliest manuscripts do not include this? Well. well there's an argument, um, and, and, and really, there's an argument uh, of why the, this particular story is not in the earlier manuscripts. Now, um, early church father Augustine, uh, he said that uh, what, what had happened was a lot of the early churches uh, were using this scripture in particular for sexual uh, immorality. Adultery. And so what he said was that the early churches were taking it out because they didn't want people to read that and, and read it the wrong way. Well, okay, well, Jesus will just forgive whatever, and so we can go do whatever. Later, they put that back in because obviously that's not the right way to handle things, right? And so that's what Augustine says. But the argument in particular isn't over whether this story actually happened. It's over the placement of it and, well, did John write it or... Not. And so some people believe that Luke wrote this, just the structure of it and everything. And so um, D.A. Carson about this verse says, there's little reason for doubting that the event here described occurred. And so when we get down to this, this is a verifiable story about Jesus. And that's what we need to know about this particular text today. This isn't whether it, it happened or not. It did happen. But the people uh, wanted to make, you know, as, as people in Scripture, they, they wanted to be clear that this wasn't in the earlier manuscripts in the particular way that we have it here today. This is a true event. And so what does this teach us about forgiveness? What does this text teach us about forgiveness? There are three steps toward true forgiveness. And so the three steps are, and I'm going to give you all three up front, addressing the guilt 
acknowledging the judge, accepting the payment. Addressing the guilt, acknowledging the judge, accepting the payment. Now, the first point is addressing the guilt. And so I want to look at verses 3 through 5. Starting in verse 3, it says, The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman who has been caught in the act, has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? The scene that we have here is Jesus is teaching in the temple. And the scribes and Pharisees have this plan as Jesus is teaching. And they say, let's try and stump Jesus. And so what they do is they drag this woman in front of him and place him in the midst while he's teaching. In the temple. What Jesus does next is, is incredible. Right? Because what happens first is there is guilt. The woman was caught. Right? So in this moment, it's not, it's, it, you don't see her pleading her case. You don't see her arguing. But what we see here is there is an addressing of guilt. So these men caught her, put her in front of Jesus. They said, this, this woman is guilty. And this is a very suspicious scene. But this woman doesn't start to plead her case because she stood there surrounded by people guilty. Timothy Keller says, your heart tempts you, not your circumstances. Like I said, this is a suspicious scene. But one thing we know about the human heart is that we get caught into circumstances, into to situations that we could start to name things and say, well, here's why I did it. Here's what happened. It's not completely like everybody is saying it should be. I, I, I made a mistake because of all these other people. This woman stood there and the, the guilt was addressed and she didn't say a word. She's basically owning what these men are saying. See, in the book of James, James chapter 1, we see that it says that that our heart is drawn towards sin. And why this woman should be so relatable is because it looks a lot like you and me. It looks a lot like us. See, if we were in situations and circumstances where people were to know our deepest, darkest sin, we would be guilty. And Jesus addresses this head on. See, let's be honest. How many of us argue our innocence when we know that we are guilty? How many of us would say, well, here's why? I've got all these reasons why I was caught in this situation, or why this sin keeps coming up in my life. Like, how many of us would have the arguments? But a part of forgiveness 
in the kingdom of God is addressing our guilt. And say, yeah, this, this is true. But what we find is that she was most likely set up. Even in her guilt, she was set up. And so that's why it's important as we, as we look through this text and we see these men who brought her to Jesus, we need to know that Jesus knows motives and he knows the heart. And so we see in the second point is this, acknowledging the judge. Okay, so she's guilty. She's been brought before these, this, this group of people. She's been placed before them in the midst of Jesus. Teacher, this woman's been caught. You know what the law of Moses says. What do we do with her? Verse 7. See, it says, As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. At once he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now, we don't know what Jesus wrote in the ground. There are people who, who guess. They say, well, this is what he was writing. And they've got all these you know, ideas of, of what he wrote, but, but we do not know what Jesus wrote in the ground. What some believe is that he was writing the sins of the people that were there, and maybe that's, that's what he was writing. But what we see is that Jesus is doodling in the sand here. And he says this very profound statement. If there's anybody here who is uh, not guilty of sin, be the first one to throw the stone. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that the only ones who can judge are perfect people. That'd be ridiculous, right? Like we would have no court system. Like only perfect people can judge, so leave the woman alone because nobody can judge. It's not what he's saying here. He's saying the way in which this woman is being judged is wrong. He knew it was a setup. Because look at verse 6. It says, And this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. They didn't care about the woman. They cared about Jesus. They wanted Jesus to be guilty of doing wrong. That was their heart motive. And so when we're talking about the way in which she was being judged, it was completely wrong. Because by the standards of the law of Moses, this trial is unjust. Because what they look to in in verse 5 is, now in the law of Moses, they commanded us to stone such women. What's the law of Moses say? Both guilty members had to be caught for stoning to happen. What we see here is just the woman. And there had to be two witnesses to the act. So stoning someone for this type of sin during the time of Jesus was extremely rare. Extremely rare. They had probably never experienced somebody being stoned for this particular sin. Just because it was so hard to actually have two witnesses there, plus get both members of the guilty party, bring them over to be judged. It's just a rare circumstance. Didn't happen often. 
See, by the standards of the law of Moses, the law of Moses and the trial that, that we're talking about here is a very high standard. It wasn't just like, great, somebody sinned, so let's go stone them. It's a very just trial system. And so what we see here is these men have brought this woman, held her responsible, and Jesus is confronting them. Right, like they, they came there trying to confront Jesus. They came there trying to confront this woman who was caught in sin. But Jesus is confronting them. He's saying the way that you're doing this whole court system that you've got going right now is wrong. And there is a double standard. There is a prejudice that you have toward this woman. Right, like you think this is a fair court system? Where is the man at? Oh, is he one of you? Were you there? Were you a part of the ones that were there to set her up for this? See, Jesus doesn't back down from the truth. If you could imagine Jesus with a stone in his hand and he's walking around pacing back and forth, saying, do you want to do it? Oh, maybe you want to do it. You want to be the one to throw the first stone? Who in here is not guilty? The weight of how wrong this was started to fall upon these men. Jesus is the only judge who is just. He doesn't play favorites. I mean, here's the deal. Like, you think about the human system, the court system, all that. We, we, talk, we, we, we think about it, right? It's like there, there's, there's things that we're like, this isn't right. How did that person walk out free? Well, they knew a few people here and there along the way. There are people who are judged based on the color of their skin. I'm a little more partial towards this group of people rather than this group of people. We know that's how the world judges, don't we? That's how the human judge process works. Not with God. There is no wayward judgment system. And when we talk about Jesus, Jesus honors the law and the value of human life more than any of these men do. And that's why he's the true judge. And so what's happening here is we are acknowledging the judge. Capital J, judge. We need him. We need that judge because as these crooked men stood before Jesus, Jesus calls them out. See, many of us have heard people say, well, only God can judge me. We do this to try and escape the verdict of others, right? Well, God's my judge, and so it really doesn't matter what you think. 
But I just want to give a warning about that. God will be more thorough in his judgment than any man ever could be. And he will be absolutely right every time. Friends, if, 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 if it's based on my works, standing before a holy God who's the judge, I don't stand every time. I fall flat. I can't stand before him. He's perfect in all of his ways. His ways are higher than my ways. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Do you know that God, acknowledging the, the true judge, God sees the heart? He doesn't see the fake stuff, right? Like, oh, yeah, I've forgiven that person. But then on the inside, we haven't. He sees straight to the heart. He knows. And Jesus knows the hearts of these people. It's wrong. It's evil. They had no right to stand in judgment in that minute, in that moment with this woman. Jesus is the only pure judge. And so we see Jesus in the midst of un, you know, unjust circumstances standing up for this woman. Standing up for her. It's acknowledging the true judge. Then third is, um, this is the last point, accepting the payment. Look at verses nine through 11. And when they heard it, Jesus' statement, throw the stone, if you're guiltless, basically. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. Just a side note, I mean, the older I get, the more I realize I'm not free from sin, you know, that I'm, I'm guilty. The older I get, I'm like, okay, yeah, yep, you're right, God, and I'm wrong. So that's just a little side note there. But the, the older start to acknowledge it first. They're like, yep. And so they start to walk away. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? No one has condemned you. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go. And from now on, sin no more. Right here, this is, this is what differentiates Christianity from every other religion in the world. This is the gospel. This is the good news. That as this woman who was guilty was standing before the perfect judge and everyone was ready to throw her out to say that she's not valuable, she's not worth anything, she stood before Jesus. He said, where'd they all go? He stood up for her. And then he says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. You see, as you see Jesus pacing around with that rock in his hand and all the other ones that he said, here, you take a shot at her. You, you throw the first stone. 
Do you see that it's still at his hand? See, he's the only one who's able to throw that stone. But what we see instead is that Jesus drops the stone at his own feet. At himself. Because ultimately, Jesus will be put on trial for her. I mean, how can Jesus say, well, neither do I condemn you? Jesus pays for the guilt. See, Jesus knew what she didn't. Jesus is essentially saying, I don't condemn you because eventually I will be condemned for you. Mark 10, 33 through 34 says, the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, the ones that you just saw. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Do you see where the condemnation falls? It falls at the feet of Jesus. Jesus made it possible that there was no case against her. Do you realize we all need this to move forward in life? We all need this. There's a book called Dignity. It's written by um, Donna Hicks. And in the book, she tells this story. She says, I heard recently about a man who was awarded, awarded a prestigious employee recognition award for his contributions to his company. By all accounts, the award was clear affirmation of his dignity. Yet, when asked how he felt about receiving the award, he said that he still felt like a number, that he wasn't really seen or recognized for who he was. And listen to what she says. This is not a Christian. It's a secular book. She says this, without an internalized belief in his own worthiness, unless his wounds from the early imprints of his dignity were cleansed and healed, he would not be able to appreciate any validation of his worth from the outside, no matter how much recognition he was accorded. doesn't matter how many awards we receive. It doesn't matter how many times somebody says, you matter. If we don't have this to cleanse our mind, to cleanse our heart, to cleanse our soul, we'll never truly be able to accept the outside telling us that we matter. We need to hear what Jesus said to this woman, neither do I condemn you. I mean, how many days do you wake up and you feel condemned? You feel like your life doesn't matter. You feel like I've got to earn my way today or else I'm not worth being here. See, Jesus is the only one who can speak these words and clean our hearts, our minds, our souls. And after he does it, he says, go and sin no more. What he does is he calls this woman into a new life. See, there's no more victim mentality with this woman. 
There's no more, well, you know, you were really wrongly tried by the people there. And so you've got some excuses in why you can move forward in life. No, Jesus says, no excuses. I've cleaned you. I've cleansed you. Will you accept the payment? Verse 11, she says, Lord, Lord. That's the sign that she accepted it. That's the sign that I want this new life that you offer. It's time to move forward on what Jesus has done for her. See, what this was was guilty, forgiven, new life. That's the gospel. That's the message of Christianity, that we are guilty, forgiven by Jesus, called to a new life in him. It's time to move forward. As Jesus declares over your life and my life, neither do I condemn you. And so some takeaways for today. How do we apply this forgiveness to our hearts? The first one is this. Forgiveness starts with confronting sin. Here's the truth about sin. We are more sinful than we want to admit, right? I don't want to tell people that I'm a sinner. I don't want to tell people that I've got issues. See, but what would it look like if we were standing before Jesus with our deepest, darkest sin? See, there's no way that we could stand before him. So it's when... We confront it. It's when we say, yes, this is who I am. I've done these things that Jesus offers this type of forgiveness. It's not when we hold on to it and try to put on a mask and act like everything's okay. Act act like we're not guilty. Act like we've got it all together. See, it's the ones that Jesus accepts that are the ones who come to him and say, I need your help. Who are the people who are more likely to accept that kind of help? It's the prostitutes. It's the tax collectors. It's the quote-unquote sinners. That's why they all flock to Jesus. They all run to Jesus. Because it was all known that they were sinners, but to find someone that would accept them and love them, that's something different. See, what would it look like to stand before Jesus with our deepest, darkest sin? Can you see his face? Can you see his face as he looks at this woman? You know, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But we find in verse 17, it says that he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Do you want to know what Jesus' face looks like to dirty, messed up sinners? It's a big smile and an embrace. It's a welcome. It's a come to me. I I knew it the whole time. See, a lot of the times with my kids, what, what they think is that they're hiding something from mom and dad that we don't know. Right? Like they've 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 got they've gotten past uh us a few times, and so they they think that they can outwit mom and dad about what they did and didn't do. Thing is, we know. We know. And 
A lot of the times they're surprised by being caught, but also by loving grace. Hold on, you still want me and the family? You still want me here? I'm still, I'm still allowed to come in, to the table and eat dinner. Yeah. We still love you. See, that's what catches us off guard every time about who Jesus is and the forgiving God that he is. We must start with being honest about our sin. And as Grace City, I pray that we will be a people willing to be the first ones to acknowledge our faults, our failures, and our sins because that's the beginning of healing. I pray that we are a church that is not afraid to come up and get prayer at the end of services. But we are willing to kneel. We are willing to lay everything down. I mean, I think, I think about when Teen Challenge was here a few weeks ago, and I think about some of the guys that were sitting right here. And I don't know if you noticed, but some of them were kneeling as we were singing songs, just praising God. It's a posture of, I don't deserve it. I need the forgiveness. I receive it. None of us are above kneeling before the cross. The second takeaway is forgiveness transforms us from the inside out. Now, I want you to to get that this is really important. What's the order of the statement that Jesus says? Neither do I condemn you. Now, sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Now, sin no more. Now, you and I need to apply this formula to our hearts for true change. You want to change? You want to grow as a Christian? It starts with this message. It starts with, neither do I condemn you. Now sin no more. Now what we do a lot of the times in our lives is we mess up, we sin, and we say, okay, sin no more, and God won't condemn me. That's the formula we use. And you know what's going to happen if you use that formula again and again to your heart? You will be wearied, you will be messed up, you will, you will not receive healing, you will not grow in Christ. You'll be so messed up because you're like, well, I got to do this, I got I to gotta stop sinning. And then God won't condemn me. The gospel is, neither do I condemn you. Sin no more. And as you are walking in the forgiveness of what Jesus has offered you, you'll start to change. See, what's the process you go through when you sin? When you've got those moments of deep, dark sin. Do you go to what you need to do before what God has done for you? It starts with the order of what God has done. Now, what's he calling me to do? Know that you're not condemned based on your actions, but based on the actions of Jesus. That's why it says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not now there's no condemnation for those who really are really good people and get their lives together. No. It's those who are in Jesus. And so forgiveness transforms us from the inside out. The third point is forgiveness is for you. I want you to hear this today. Some of you might say, well, I'm too messed up. Sexually, I'm too messed up. I'm used goods. So it really doesn't matter. 
I'm too messed up. You wouldn't realize the addiction that I've had in my life. I'm too messed up. There's, there's no way that somebody could love me. I'm just so unlovable. And people have told me. I'm too messed up. I'm just too selfish. There's no way that I could change. There's no way that I could come to Jesus. He won't take me. Hear me today. Forgiveness is for you. It's for you. What does it mean to come to Jesus? How do you do it? Stop living a lie and playing games. Admit you're guilty. Look to Jesus and see him dropping the stone at his feet and saying, I will be condemned for you and do what this woman did. Call him Lord. Call him Lord. You know the thing about Lord's? They command your life. And when you've been forgiven much, you love much. The kind of Lord that he is is not a Lord that lords it over you in your past sin and your past guilt. He says, no, I love you. And, and I'm, the commands that I give you are only going to show, me, show you how much I love you. And really what happens is you, you understand that there's a, a level of forgiveness that you have in Jesus that could never be paid back. It makes you fall to your knees and say, Lord, command me. I'm yours. Whatever you want. Where, or wherever you want me to go. Whatever you want me to do. I'm yours. That's the type of forgiveness that he offers us. And it's only when you know you've been forgiven much that you love much. Do you believe that Jesus paid for your phone bill? Or do you believe that he paid for a debt that you could have never paid? Right, what is that for you? Like a house mortgage? School loan? Like if somebody came in here today and said, here, here's all the money to your school loan. You'd be like, what? You'd fall to your knees. Somebody, if somebody today came up and said, hey man, I'll pay for your phone bill for the month. You'd be like, oh, Thanks. It's really nice of you. You know, like, why'd you do that? That's really nice. Somebody paid your, your debt that you could have never paid. You'd be like, what? Dude, whatever you want, I will do it. Like, just tell me. Like, I will do that for you. That's the weight of what Jesus has done for us. The last one is forgiveness gives us a new lens on life. It gives you a new lens on holiness and hope. See, some would say that Sexual sin is unforgivable. There's no way that that could be forgiven. Others would say it's no big deal. Jesus confronts it as wrong, but also says it's totally forgivable. Right? There's no ranking system for sin. God hates it all, yet God's grace can cover it all. The standards of holiness are high, yet the hope we have in Jesus to be forgiven is also high. You can come to him. And it gives you a new lens on compassion. How do you view people who struggle with sins that you don't? Are they the lepers? Are they the outcasts? Are they the weird ones? Jesus hangs out with people who know they need grace. And so there's something in our lives, there's something in your life and in my life 
that causes us to fall on our knees and say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Jesus can forgive us because he was condemned for us. And it says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus offers you the riches of his grace because he takes that stone that we deserved and puts it down at his feet and says, me instead. That's the gospel. Will you receive that today? Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we understand what your forgiveness is about. And through knowing that we are forgiven people, we'll be able to receive and accept and forgive the people that are around us that might have wronged us in our lives. Jesus, we need you. Help us to be a people who are willing to admit quickly of our wrongs, repent, turn back to you, God, and walk in the new life that we have in Christ. We thank you for it and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.